Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. And uh, most of you have been with us for quite a while now. You know that we started with the Gospels. We did Matthew, we did Mark, and we did the book of John, then we did Luke, now we're doing Acts. And we, we took uh, Luke and John out of order, kind of the way they're in the uh, Bible for us, because we wanted to do Luke and Acts together because both were written by Luke. And uh, uh, to Theophilus, which means lover of God, and we're the lovers of God, so even if there wasn't a real person named Theophilus, which we believe there was, it was ultimately written to us. Luke was a historian who was very detailed in the way he recorded things, and, and he was a great researcher, and uh, he, he researched what he didn't eyewitness and uh, gave us then the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke pretty much detailed for us uh, in, in Luke, the gospel, uh, the life of Jesus uh, and how he came to be and what he did up through the crucifixion uh, and resurrection and then into the book of Acts. We start again with him being with the disciples and then the ascension uh, in, in Acts 1, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost and we see the church get started and we've, in those first chapters of Acts, we saw what happened in Jerusalem as the church takes hold there. We met some people along the way. Uh, the, the Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, was introduced to us. Stephen, the first martyr, we watched his ministry. We saw how his persecution really started the spread of the church. Um, then we primarily looked at Peter's ministry. Uh, and, and the influence he had on the early church in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And then we saw a church take hold in Antioch, and it became sort of the missionary base for Barnabas and Saul, who became Paul. Uh, so far, we've seen uh, through two of the missionary journeys, and we've watched all the churches get planted, and you will see later, as we continue on in the New Testament and read the Pauline epistles, how he wrote back to those churches, and that's what gives us a big chunk of the New Testament, and the, the cities and towns now should make sense. There are places there where uh, Barnabas and, and uh, Paul visited. And then in the second trip, it was Paul and Silas because Barnabas and Paul had a little disagreement that you remember over John Mark, who uh, it's all going to work out in the end. We're going to see how that gets re resolved. But uh, uh, Paul and Silas had went on trip number two. Timothy was with them. They planted a bunch of churches. They've, they've hit the same sort of encounter over and over and over again. They go into the synagogues in the town. They start preaching the gospel. They usually meet with some opposition. They leave the synagogue, start preaching to the Gentiles. The word spreads, churches start, and that's been the process. Uh, at the last part of 18, we finished the second missionary journey. Paul went back through Jerusalem and then to Antioch. He took a break, and then it says he started missionary journey number three, which is primarily what we're going to be talking about today. And for the most part of journey number three, Paul is in Ephesus. That's where the Ephesians come from. And... He had visited them on the last journey, uh, and he had reasoned with them in the synagogues. And actually, the leaders, the religious leaders, said, we'd like you to come back and keep talking. He said, I will if I can. If it's God's will, I will. And he, in fact, does go back and uh, starts things there in Ephesus uh, when he gets back. Um, and, and so all these things are happening as we move into Acts chapter 19. Uh, there's three things in particular we're going to talk about as we read through this today. 
and uh, so you can watch for them. In the first section, there's an encounter with some disciples who don't know about the Holy Spirit, and uh, Paul prays with them, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Then there's a pretty big chunk about uh, the miracles that God uses Paul to do in Ephesus, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then uh, I want to talk about the way that Paul um, moves into uh, his presentation of the gospel in a city, Ephesus, which is known for uh, its worship of a false goddess and how they sort of approach that whole process and the impact they had. So, so those are kind of the big topics we're going to cover today in uh, the short time that we have. So having given you the introduction, let's move on to Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read it for you. It should be there in your, it's there in your notes. Or if you brought your Bibles, you can follow along. I'll be reading out of the NIV, the New International Version. Uh, but whatever Bible you have should be fine. And uh, we're going to read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 41, right after I take this sip of water. That was three sips. Trying to clarify. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and following. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied, and Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, and they refused to believe, and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles, extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It's a bad day. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. <laughs> One good demon beating and everybody wants to get right with Jesus. 
A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, scrolls the total came to 50,000 drachmas, which is like two and a half million dollars now. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I'd been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business for the craftsmen. He called them together, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large number of peoples here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. That's funny. Luke was being funny. If you wondered if they could be funny, that's Luke being funny. <laughs> the Jews pushed Alexander to the front, and some of the crowd shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. All the people who didn't know why they were there had a two-hour chant going. The city clerk, and that, that, doesn't, um, that term doesn't seem to convey the title or the position of this person. This would have been a very high-ranking official. All right, sort of the, the, the city lawyer, if you would, something. It's a, he's a scribe is the word in there. <clears throat> Quieted the crowd and said, Men of Ephesus, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image, which fell from heaven? And um, apparently uh, some sort of meteorite had fallen in the area that resembled some sort of woman figure, and that's what this was all about, Artemis of the Ephesians, all right? That's why they said she'd fallen from heaven. They had a piece of stone. And that's what all the, the other guys were building copies of selling, okay? All right. <clears throat> Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to be quiet and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. 
If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of today's events. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So just there at the end, what happened is, remember, everybody reports to Rome. And I've told you that they allow the governments to stay in place, but they expect them to keep things in order. And so what this city official comes in and says is, there's no grounds for this, and we're about to get in trouble with Rome, and you better not let that happen, because you all will be in big trouble. So be quiet and go home. And that's basically how that ends, and where we'll pick it up from there. Okay, so Acts 19, um, the beginning verses there, talks about Paul. Um, who we'd seen was getting ready to go in the end of 18 there on the third trip, and he, he, he decides he's going to back to Ephesus, and he cuts in this road, this inner route, and he goes to Ephesus. On the way there, he meets this group of guys that are called disciples, and he begins to talk to them. Now, their situation is very similar to Apollos, who we talked about in the last chapter. Apollos knew the scriptures and was, was uh, doing his best to follow God, and knew about the ministry of John the Baptist, but had not heard about the rest of the story. And, and remember then that uh, our, our couple from Ephesus, uh, they took him aside and they taught him uh, the rest of the story, and he became a very significant preacher in, uh, there, and then he went on to Corinth, where he was working when Paul heads this way. Uh, Paul meets this group of guys, and he asks them, he says, uh, you know, um, had you, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer was, we didn't even know uh, that there was a Holy Spirit. That's what the answer. And there's a lot of questions about what they meant with that. They hadn't, because even John the Baptist had introduced the, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit at some level in his ministry. So, so that was there. But ultimately, the sort of what's going on at this point is they had come uh, to John the Baptist's ministry, which was a baptism of repentance, which they had gone through. Um, but they hadn't come to the next part, which is turning your life to Christ in faith. And that's what Paul leads them through, that process. And when they're told about the rest of the story, they accept Jesus into their lives. And then Paul prays for them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And um, in this particular instance, it talks about the fact that they started to speak in tongues and prophesy. Uh, I want to talk about that concept. Six times in the book of Acts, people are prayed for to receive, to believe, and they receive the Holy Spirit. In six times, three times when it happens, they speak in tongues, and three times they don't. And this has set up this thing in the church. <laughs> where um, a part of the church um, believes that all of these things, the gifts and all that stuff, died out with the apostles. Part of the church believes that firmly. Another part of the church believes that, that anybody that gets saved and receives the Spirit ought to speak in tongues. That's, so you have these extreme poles in the church. Okay? And it causes some problems along the way. Now, depending on how you came into this thing, you either have no background for that, which is probably the best way to come into it, 
Or if you came in through one side or the other, you have a very deep sort of conviction on what you believe. One stream was told that people that believe in the gifts and speak in tongues are demonic at this point because they believed it all stopped with the, the death of the last apostle. The other group believes that if you don't speak in tongues, then you're really not saved. Do you see where this has caused some issues with <laughs> people trying to get together in Jesus? Now, I'll tell you what I believe. <laughs> Six times in Acts, when people come to Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. And listen, the, the issue, Acts is not a good book to come up with a doctrinal thesis on when the Holy Spirit is given, um, because it happens all sorts of times. When they pray, way after they pray, shortly after, there's no, no set to it. I think Luke did that on purpose. Um, I believe that when you ask Jesus Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit is part of the package. He's in your life. Now, where do we go from here? Six times in the New Testament, um, uh, people receive the Holy Spirit. Three times they speak in tongues, three times they don't. Um, what I believe is that three times they spoke in tongues and three times they didn't. <laughs> I think it's that way on purpose. Because God in his wisdom knew that some people were going to get stuck on either end here. And, and see, the thing is, I do believe that the gifts are available today. I fully believe that in my heart, that, that the gifts are available. However, I, I think that, that the Holy Spirit gives them where they're needed and that the gifts aren't really about us. They're for the people that we minister to. That the, the gift flows through us and is for the recipient of whatever our ministry is and that whatever gift we might need at the appropriate time to best affect ministry to the person on the end of it is available to us today. So, I, I, I'm in this place where, um, and we're going to talk about it some more, that, that I think that, that what we need to do is, is find this place that says that God is God, and if you love Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. What gifts you exhibit or manifest depend on what's needed and necessary at the time and is way more about the people you're ministering to than it is about you. And that if you came from a background that says all that stuff has died out with the apostles, I'd have to ask you to be a little more open to the fact that I believe they're still very prevalent and relevant today. If you're at the other extreme that says, you know what, if, if you're not exhibiting these things in your life, you're really not saved, I, I need to have you check that a little bit too and just question it and study it like the Bereans did and look back because to me the evidence of the Spirit is not about the gifts but about changed lives it's about the fruit of the Spirit not the gifts of the Spirit and and what we often do is think that it's the gifts that make people spiritual when in fact it's not that operating the gifts is ultimately for the recipients of the ministry not for the person who's operating in the gift and so, so we have to begin to look at this in a little different way and open ourselves up and think, you know, we need to look at this. And, and it, this, this particular chapter is really good about introducing this whole process because of the, the next thing that I want to talk about um, is that while Paul is there, it says, he does extraordinary miracles. So there's all these miracles taking place. Now, there's, there's been some miracles we've seen recorded in, the, in the, Paul's missionary work along the way. But sometimes there's not miracles recorded. 
Now, depending on what you believe, either, either nothing happened or there was so much happening they couldn't write it all down. This is where they can always go to. But I have a different idea about that, too. I think that I'll present to you in the process. When we read about Paul's encounter in Athens, he was dealing with people who did everything up here, right? It was very intelligent people. And so he reasoned with them in the scriptures. And, and that's how he was, made an impact there. Now, when you come to Ephesus, this is a place steeped in the occult because of the worship of this false goddess, Artemis. And in order to effectively minister to people who are steeped in the occult, miracles of God need to be evident for them to see that God is a alive and powerful and doing neat stuff because they're, they're open to culturally, their worldview exposes them even to even in the bad way. Remember it said there was a bunch of sorcerers and stuff? See, they'd been exposed to the evil power of the, uh, the demonic powers, but they'd seen them have impact and produce some results. And so in order to minister to that group, they needed to see the power and miracles of the Holy Spirit. It was necessary to see that happening. See, God uses what's necessary to win people over to Christ, always. And, and the worldview of the people has a significant impact on what's happening and when. So for example, um, when, when I would go and do missionary work in places where the worldview is different than ours, there's a lot more evidence of miracles and spiritual things taking place because that's their worldview. And God knows that, and so he's moving in a different way. When you come back into our country where our worldview is pretty much shut down anything that's supernatural, good or bad, in a lot of ways, we just don't believe it. You know, we, we start thinking about Casper the Friendly Ghost and stuff. We have weird concepts. <laughs> so we've shut it down. And, and so it loses some of its impact. So, so we need to be in this place where, like I said, I'm, I'm, I believe in all the gifts and, and all of them, that they're alive and around today and that they're useful and necessary and that God gives them to us for the benefit of others. I believe in miracles. God is still doing miracles. He's always done miracles. He's never stopped doing miracles. Just like the gifts never stopped, all this stuff is still happening today. Book of Acts stuff still takes place. Um, the, the apostles, when they died, they had imparted it to others who imparted it to others who imparted it to others because the Spirit is still alive and active and moving in the church today. We need to be aware of that. However, we don't want to go to an extreme that says it's always like this because it's not always like this. Sometimes it's like this. Sometimes it's in here somewhere. We just need to be open to God and not try and put Him in a box that says, well, it always has to be like this, and it always has to be like this. Uh-uh. Six times the Holy Spirit comes in the book of Acts. Three times they speak in tongues and prophesy. Three times it didn't go. It didn't happen. What does that mean? Just that. Three times it happened. Three times it didn't. You can't put God in a box. He won't let you. You can't. See, I, I went to, I got my, my biblical degree in a uh, very um, Pentecostal organization, uh, but not, not extremely Pentecostal, conservatively Pentecostal uh, uh, Assemblies of God school. And their contention is that 
six times the Holy Spirit is, comes, and uh, three times they speak in tongues when it happens. Three times they don't, because the three times that they did was enough, and that by then you should have figured out that that always happens. That's the belief. That's the stretch over here. That's the, but they firmly believe that. They, they're convinced that that's why I, I get it. I mean, I knew how to answer on the tests. <laughs> I knew what they were looking for. But to me, it was always, well, no, three times it happened, three times it didn't. To me, that's just God being God. Don't try and put God in a box. Sometimes these things are different. He needs something else to happen. However, because of the abuses in the extreme, and because some people don't experience the gifts, don't shut them down and think they don't exist. And please don't write them off as not being from God. It's not, it's not okay. I don't believe any of them have disappeared. And that the, the scriptural text, and we've talked about this, and we, you can go back and look at some of the kingdom of God stuff I talked about, and healing and spiritual gifts. The, the scriptural text says that, you know, when the, when the perfect comes, these things will pass away. And, and the, the, this side believes that when we finally got canon in 300 and some AD, settled up, that was it. That's the perfect, because the word of God is perfect. The word of God is perfect. But in context, if you go and read that entire chapter where that's written, they're talking about Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, we don't, we're going to have a whole different set of stuff because Jesus will be with us again. In a, in a different. So all I say is when I bring this in, in order to love the church well, we need to understand we don't have it all figured out and that we always need to be like the Bereans, examining the scripture and looking at our viewpoint. And they're both, they're great viewpoints. God uses, see what I love about God? Is he uses both ends. And, and, he uses them, and we can love them. And let's just love them. Let's not figure out that these, oh, they don't. No, nah, it's where they're at. Okay. I'm good with that. I even get the scripture that they get. I get it. Okay. I get this. It's good to, I get it. But we, where I want to see us is a, as a group of naturally supernatural people tuned in to the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he's God and he knows what's to happen in every situation and not to assume that we're going to use our, our tried and true methods all the time. That, that at, in each situation, we want to have what needs to happen so that the person that we're ministering to, because that's who it's about, is impacted for the kingdom of God. And if we, we try and take them to a place where they're not going to go, we lose our ability to connect. So just be sensitive and open to what God is doing. Don't try and put him in a box. And, and to me, that's, that's what happens throughout uh, this chapter and what he's talking about and why we see things differently in different places because the, the ministry looks different in different places <clears throat> because of the people that you're ministering to. And that still happens today. So we have these things going on. Um, I love this. Uh, surprisingly, in Acts 19.9, uh, the religious leaders get upset with Paul again after inviting him to come back and speak. After three months of Paul in the, in the synagogue, they chase him out. Okay, now we're done with you. They, and funny, they get jealous that way. So I love Paul. Now he just, he's got this new thing that he started the last time. He doesn't leave. <laughs> he just takes the group that's coming to Jesus and they move to another location. And this time it's this hall of uh, Tyrannus who uh, had some sort of lecturing hall that was empty during the day. What I've read in the things is that Paul was able to use it during the day because from like 11 to 4 it was open because that would have been the time for lunch and a nap. And so the place was empty. So it says Paul went there every day for two years. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid work, huh? 
every day for two years. Paul talked there. And because of that, the whole province of Asia heard about the word of the Lord. And many people came and believed. And then these, these seven sons of Sceva, Sceva was apparently a, a Jewish high priest of some sort, whatever, false or not. But the seven sons of Sceva are out there. My hunch is they're out there trying to make a little money doing exorcism. And they don't know Jesus. So what they've decided works, because they've seen the miracles of Paul, the extraordinary miracles of Paul, and they've seen, and it says in that last line of, 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 of Acts 19, of like 12, 13, Paul's doing all these miracles and driving out evil spirits. It's in there. And, and so, you know, and that stuff still happens today. It's our worldview that doesn't think it does, but it still happens. So, um, so, so these guys are trying to imitate this, and, and since they don't know Jesus, they're trying to kind of tap into it, and they say, you know, come out in, in the name of the Lord Jesus that Paul preaches. And this demon looks at him and says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. I don't know you boys. And he whips them up, all seven of them. Badly. And it's a very demonic encounter, right? And, and so the people get that what Paul was doing was the real deal. Because they'd just seen the fake. And so they all come, and so, see, some of these people were listening about Jesus were kind of on the fence because they'd apparently been listening, but now they bring all their sorcery books and everything, and they burn them up. Let's get rid of all this stuff. <laughs> we don't want that kind of beating at all. Here. Fire it up. Huh? So this huge revival happens. These people get right with Jesus at the impact of Paul's ministry. Now, Paul's like, okay, it's time, so I'm done. Been here almost three years. He's there between two and three years in Ephesus. I got to get out of here. Um, I need to go back, visit some of the churches. I feel like I'm supposed to go to Rome, although he's warned about going, but he's, people think Paul didn't listen to the warnings. I just think that the Spirit was telling him, you got to go. And, uh, and yet he's, he gets delayed a little bit. He sends a couple of his guys off to go do some pre-work, and he hangs out there, and the, the idol makers in Ephesus start having some economic issues. Because of this huge revival, the people have quit buying the little false idols that they make. And it's hurt their business. So their issue, it's kind of funny, when you watch it, it's completely economic. The Gentiles revolt here against uh, uh, Paul, not based on what he's teaching indirectly. And it's not a religious thing, although they try and squeeze that in at the end. It's about the fact that it's getting hurt because nobody's buying the little idols anymore that they make. And so he gets all the rest of the guys together and say, hey, they're putting us out of business. Let's take them and, and do something about it. And so then they try and whip up the crowd, most of whom don't even know why they're there, talking about great is the God of Artemis, great is God, you know, you know what I mean? The God of Ephesus. So they whip this crowd into a frenzy, but it's all based on a money thing. It's not really about God, it's about, it's hurting their business. And so they, they want to make it stop. And, and they got a big problem because of the revival. It says taking over most of the province. So they're in pretty big trouble. So they're trying to stir something up. And they get people going. They're in the process. And they, they get this whole assembly going. But here's, here's what I wanted to say. Because, see, this is the wisdom of Paul. When they went into this place, and they saw uh, that, that it was heavily devoted to this false goddess, they didn't attack Artemis, the false goddess. What they did was preach the truth. 
Because when the city lawyer comes up, he says, hey, they didn't rob the temples and they didn't blaspheme the goddess. You have no, no basis for your charge. See, and, and the, the wisdom is on how as believers we confront evil. See, sometimes we try and, and we've talked about this, we, we try and label evil and attack people. But see, it never works because our struggle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers, the, 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 the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the heavenly forces of evil. And, 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 and so Paul knew that. He writes that for us. So he didn't do that. What do they go in? They go in and preach the truth, the gospel. They, they tell them, look, there's a real God who made man. It's not about worshiping man-made gods. But they, they lay in the truth so that these people come to know the God of truth. And, and so the, the battle is won at a different level. And so the way that we confront evil in our culture is that we lead people to Jesus. Do you get it? That's the only chance we have. It's never about pointing our fingers and criticizing and doing all the other things we think are going to fix it. You can't, you can't even, and I get the, but you can't legislate morality. You can't, you can't it doesn't work. The only thing that works is, is bringing light into the darkness and introducing people to Jesus. It's the only thing that works. And that's what they did. And they changed an entire province because Paul just stuck to it. And they just loved people and told them about Jesus. That's what they did. They prayed for them. They, they met their, their needs where they could in prayer. They, and people were impacted. And the word spread just because they were faithful in doing that. So, so, you know, that's what we're called to. Let's, let's, let's be faithful to do the things God calls us to do, to love people, and to introduce them to Jesus wherever we can by showing them kindness and generosity and hospitality. Let's pray for them in faith, believing that God is still the God of miracles, but presenting it in a way where each person is that they can receive it. Let's be sensitive to the ministry and the movement of the Holy Spirit so that we can touch and change people for the kingdom of God. See, that's what we're called to do. That's the book of Acts at work today. That's what's still happening. And we need to be aware of it as it continues on in our lives. Amen? Amen. If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. If you have any, anything we can do, call us, write us, let us know. We'll do whatever we can. We're going to pray for the group here and uh, call it a night. So.